Hello, I'm Suzanne Shaw. I'm a mum, a singer, actress and wellness advocate. In 2020, I changed my life for the better. I made myself a priority. I quit alcohol, adopted a plant-based lifestyle and found a love for running. Fast forward to a few years later and I can honestly say my life has changed beyond recognition. In this podcast, I'll be speaking to wellness experts and well-known self-improvement advocates and celebrities about all things well-being, along with finding out about their tips, tricks and secrets to living a happier, healthier life. So, on with the show. We have a wonderful guest this week. She is a GP, a plant-based and well-being advocate, a number one best-selling author with her book, The Plant Power Doctor, and the host of The Wellness Podcast. And amongst all of her amazing work, she is the mum to two beautiful boys. How does she fit it all in? Well, we find out her secrets in this episode. Our guest is the brilliant Dr. Gemma Newman. Hi, Gemma. Welcome to Dare to be Happy. It's so amazing to have you on here. I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been following you for quite some time on the Instagram and you just bring so much joy to the wellness world, particularly in the plant-based and environmental space as well. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Susie. I'm really excited too. I am so passionate about this subject and I have loved seeing how your Instagram and your profile has exploded as you've also been beginning to explore this incredible uh, wellness space. So thank you so much for your work to do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You're such a person of influence within the wellness space and so much information comes from your page you know for me to follow you and see all the information which motivates me which inspires me to continue um, raising awareness and talking about plant-based living and the environment I just think it's so inspiring but let's talk a little bit about you and where you're from and who you are because have you always been this way what was your relationship growing up with food and the environment Well, I haven't always been this way, no. It has been a real journey for me. And growing up, I I loved food. I really enjoyed just not really thinking about what I ate and eating what I loved. And that tended to involve things like, you know, Devon cream teas and chips and fish and all the stuff that I eat growing up near the coast. And I went to uni. I really wanted to help people. And so I went to medical school and my big sort of aim in life was to always actually become a family doctor because I loved the idea of getting to know families throughout the years and figuring out how people tick and one of my colleagues put it this way they love to save lives in slow motion which is I think what GPs do and that's what I wanted to do so when I went to uni that's what I decided and I loved it but what I began to notice when I went into work in the hospital is that I wasn't really as effective at helping people as I wanted to be. And I was exhausted all the time. I wasn't really looking after my own health. And I was doing a lot of night shifts and late shifts and just eating whatever I could grab in the doctor's mess and on the woods. And it was usually chocolate or Domino's pizza. And 
I just felt so tired and I thought, I can't maintain this. You know, I'm only at the beginning of my career. I've got potentially years ahead of me of being a doctor and I'm falling asleep at the dinner table. So I decided to take my health into my own hands at that point. But I didn't really have much grounding in how to do it well. Even though I'd learned a lot about anatomy and physiology and consultation skills and pharmacology and genetics and nutritional deficiencies, you name it, I did a lot of studying. I didn't really know how to maintain optimal wellness. And so I just kind of thought, well, I'll cut the carbs and I'll exercise every day and maybe I'll do some calorie counting. And it helped me in a lot of ways because I gained a lot of energy and I did lose some weight and I was able to do the work that I was struggling to do before. So I got some great results from that point of view, but I didn't have such good biological markers. So my cholesterol was raised, my other lipid profile um, elements were raised, my LDL. And this was a huge disappointment because I thought I'm doing everything right. You know, I look so healthy and fit from the outside. Um, I'm just eating loads of salads and chicken and fish. And, you know, I'm exercising every day, but my cardiovascular disease risk was still raised. And I knew this was a problem because I have heart disease in my family. It's our biggest killer in the Western world. And my grandfather died suddenly of a heart attack. He was playing tennis. Uh, he was in his, I think he was 61 and my dad, my dad as well, like he died um, at 59. And I knew that pretty much at menopause, I'd probably take on the same risk as them. So I felt really demoralized at the time thinking I'm doing everything right. But then everything changed when I discovered the joys of plant-based nutrition through my husband, actually, who's not a medic, which is a whole other story. <laughs> but um, I did my research into it and I thought I'd give it a go. And amazingly, after just one month of plant-based eating, I was able to bring my cholesterol levels to normal. And this is 10 years later. I wasn't exercising half as much. I'd had a couple of children. I was a much more sedentary job. Yeah. Um, but I was able to bring my heart disease risk factors down. I stopped getting knee aches when I was running, uh, which was great because in my 20s, I had to wear knee supports every time I tried to run. I, I got rid of my knee supports and I realized that actually, you know, there are so many benefits from an anti-inflammatory point of view. And to be honest, it wasn't even about athleticism. I wanted to see what it could do for my patients. And that's where I got so excited because I realized there are so many potential benefits for the people I look after every day, reducing the risk of heart disease, reducing their risk of cancer, reducing their risk of diabetes or even reversing type 2 diabetes autoimmune diseases can be improved uh, asthma eczema ulcerative colitis Crohn's disease hormonal imbalances period pains yeah. I'm not saying it's a panacea because we can still have health issues of course um, we can do our best but it can make a huge difference and that's where the real magic happened for me and that's where my story really began and how long ago was that? Oh, about six years ago, maybe more, seven, I think, actually. it's uh, It's been a long journey, but I've been helping patients in other ways for a lot longer than that. I learned cognitive behavioral therapy, solution-focused, brief therapeutic approaches. And, you know, it's not all about food. I studied psychology. I was able to also uh, incorporate aspects of things like sleep and general well-being, holistic health, mm. uh, mindset, things like that. So yeah, it's it has been and continues to be a journey as it should be. Am I right in saying like, you know, 
it's not really the norm within the medical space to take this holistic approach, you know, talking like talking about sleep therapy and even the plant-based eating is, is very fairly new because the research is fairly new. Well, you're definitely right in saying it's not that common, but it's definitely something that is increasing. And you'd be surprised to know that actually a lot of the research that I'm able to look at on the benefits of plant-based nutrition does span the decades. It's just that it's not something that's necessarily focused on in medical school. There's a lot to cover. And I think much like if you go into a speciality after you've studied, you learn more about it afterwards. I found that I learned more about holistic health as part of my GP training and beyond than I could ever have learned in medical school. But it is definitely picking up momentum. Uh, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine was founded like decades ago and the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine is relatively new, but it's picking up speed. And of course, the Plant-Based Health Professionals UK, which is a really vibrant and exciting space, which anybody can join, by the way. It's not just for healthcare professionals. So I do see it becoming a lot more talked about and also just from an environmental point of view the Royal College of GPs has a, a new green impact scheme where they talk about plant-based diets as being one of the things that can help improve the sort of environmental footprint of uh, GP practices and the one blue dot campaign by the British Dietetic Association yeah. which is you know, about the earth being a blue dot from space and how we can protect it and eat in an environmentally friendly way so it's actually really exciting to see big organisations now beginning to uh, really look at the health and environmental benefits of plant-based eating and incorporate that in their message. So I'm, I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm just really excited to see this space grow. Even in the last two years that I've been, um, you know, delving into plant-based living and, and looking at the, the environmental issues that, that come with meat eating. So it, it's wonderful to see in that short space of time, how much it's leapt forward and how many more conversations we're having and how much more it's becoming on mainstream TV and within, you know, the, 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 the online space. When you first went down this road, this is what I'm interested in, and you wanted to bring it to your clients, to the, your, you know, patients in the practice. How did your clinic see this, that you, you were kind of bringing this, this thought of, trying your patients on plant-based diet to lower cholesterol to help with their modern day illnesses? Well, I'm really fortunate that I work in a small practice. I'm senior partner, so I do get <laughs> quite a lot of autonomy. <laughs> so, you know, being the boss, then um, it, it, that does help. But no, I think I have spoken to colleagues who've had a lot of resistance from colleagues of theirs in different settings. And what I would say is, I think, first off, you always have to listen to your patient first. There's no point going off on a lecture telling people what to do because yeah. nobody likes to be told what to do. And people don't tend to want your advice unless they ask for it. And sometimes even when they go to the doctor, they don't always want your advice. So I think... It's important to listen to the person in front of you and really try to get a handle on what they need and what they're ready for at this time. So that's the first tip. But I think in terms of the legitimacy of the message, I think it's a great idea to uh, direct your colleagues to resources that they might find useful. So, for example, we know that the American College of Cardiology advocates a plant-based diet for the prevention of heart disease. And that's based on the analysis of many studies. And 
Similarly, you know, the American College of Clinical Endocrinology talks about the huge benefits of plant-based nutrition for the prevention of type 2 diabetes. Mm. And you know, we, you can also mention, as I said before, the RCGP initiatives, the uh, Dietetic Association's initiatives on uh, environmental maintenance and um, improving planetary health. And you've got the Eat Lancet report, which is hugely influential. And yeah. that's put together by experts in their field, uh, talking about how we can create a planet that we can all thrive on in years to come because of course we're all linked and yeah all the problems that we see happening around the globe will eventually have an impact on us now sadly they will impact people with the least money and resources the most but it will still affect every single person on this planet and we can't have a healthy human without a healthy planet at the end of the day yeah. and although we might not be feeling that now we definitely will be feeling that in the decades to come. So that's why this is such a crucial message. And I think it's definitely getting out there. The more that we talk about it and the more that big organisations are sharing it, uh, hopefully the less resistance your colleagues will feel when you bring up plant-based nutrition. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Obviously, I, I know a fair bit now about the benefits of plant-based eating, not just for the environment, for our health as well. But the common question I get asked all the time is, well, how do you get protein into your diet? And this is something that I wanted to bring up in this chat, because if you are new to um, or you're, you're, you're plant-based curious and you want to try it, but you're a little bit worried about certain myths that you've been told or, you know, beliefs that you have about veganism, plant-based eating. What's your answer to this very common question of, well, how do you get your protein? It's a great question, Susie. And it's the first question I had when my husband decided to go plant-based. <laughs> so rest assured, you will get all the protein you need on a plant-based diet. The beauty, of course, of eating plants is that they do contain all essential amino acids. There are two caveats. You have to be eating enough food. So if you are going through starvation or malnutrition, then obviously you're going to potentially have issues getting enough protein, but that would be the same whatever dietary pattern you follow. So it's important to eat, obviously, step one. <laughs> step two, it's important to avoid eating just one food. So, you know, don't just eat beans. Uh, it's important to eat things like lentils and brown rice and chickpeas and maybe things like tofu or tempeh. But essentially, Every plant food will contain some protein. And as long as you're having a lovely varied diet, you'll get every single protein in abundance. And it's interesting because in the circle of sort of dietetics, there used to be a concept where they talked about sort of the quality of the protein. And there was a lot of confusion with meat because they would class meat as a higher quality protein. Uh, because it contained every kind of essential amino acid often. But when you look at what's essential, then you have to also look at what other health uh, benefits you can get from food types and try and avoid breaking it down into one thing. Because what you begin to realize is, well, what if you want to reduce your risk of heart disease? Is there a particular type of protein source that might be better for you? 
And the answer to that, looking at epidemiological studies and also potentially mechanistic ones, is that eating plants as your primary source of protein will reduce your risk of heart disease and early death. Okay, so let's look at things like cancer. Cancers are our second largest killer. Could that have an impact on what, what protein we choose? And interestingly, again, studies are showing us epidemiologically that having a plant-rich diet will reduce your risk of cancer. And the World Cancer Research Fund tells us this. A diet that's based on fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes is the primary cancer prevention diet that we can have. So if you're looking at quality, then we want to look at overall health and environmental sustainability. And so, yes, I think sometimes the, the conversation can get quite confusing. You don't need to com sort of combine foods at the same meal. You, you don't need to you know, sort of religiously count protein needs. You just eat and you eat healthy and abundantly to your hunger and you will get more than enough protein to sustain your body. I would say that perhaps when you're over the age of 65, it's good to prioritize protein, uh, but that would be the same whatever dietary pattern you have because you want to try to avoid muscle wasting as you get older. But again, it's not just about protein. It's about ensuring you have enough calcium and vitamin D and that you're doing enough weight-bearing exercise. So yeah, the bottom line is protein comes from all plants and that's where the animals that you eat get their protein from. <laughs> yep. Well, that's it. We're just cutting out the middleman. It is fascinating because, the, like I said before, you know, I being two years into my journey, I am still very much learning about where to get enough variety in my diet. And, and it does come from preparation. It comes from wanting to cook, wanting to explore new recipes. Now, not everybody has the ability to do that, particularly if you're living in a very super fast-paced life with uh, a busy job and a family. And very much when I started out on this journey, I found that I was eating a lot of beige things because I was on the road. I was doing a show at the time. When I was at home, I didn't know how to cook for myself and then for the family. So the easiest thing was cook for the family and then I'll just grab what I could. Uh, luckily to say that the family are now plant-based. <laughs> wow, yay! Well, you've got to eat what I eat or you cook yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it is very confusing when it be, when when you start on that road and I very quickly had to nip it in the bud that I was becoming a junk vegan I was eating everything beige so I had to teach myself quick fast recipes which you have loads of by the way in your book The Plant Power Doctor which we'll talk about in a minute thanks <laughs> for somebody who is starting this journey which can, it can be very confusing and like I said you know you you can very quickly go down the route of just I'll have a jacket potato, I'll have pasta, I'll have a Greg's vegan sausage roll because it says it's got vegan on it. <laughs> what, what are your tips for quick quick recipes and, and getting that variation in your diet? I think my main tip would be to find your why because if you know why you're doing it, then that makes it easier to stick mm. to. With it. So you don't have to kind of be constantly motivated and have willpower. You just think, well, this is what's important to me. These are the values that I'm living by and that's why I'm continuing to do this. So although that's that's kind of slightly more of an esoteric answer, I think it's really important because you can lose track of why you're even bothering unless you know like, deep down why it is that you, you're making these changes. So, so would that come with research you, as well? So doing a lot of research? Well, I mean, it depends, not necessarily. I mean, some people, they'll literally just watch like a documentary like Earthlings and they'll decide... 
I do not want to partake in this industry. And so for them, uh, they haven't done a lot of research, but they know that that's what they want to stick with. And then, then I suppose the research comes in because you need to figure out, okay, well, how is that different from what I'm doing right now? And how do I maintain health whilst doing that? So you don't necessarily need to do the research to know what your values around eating plant-based are. But I think if you're going to maintain and sustain it, depending on what you were eating before, then research is important. And and then you know you can feel confident with the choices that you're making. So figure out your why, whether it's to do with widening your circle of compassion towards animals, whether it's to do with wanting to make a difference to planetary health and the environment, or whether it's just wanting to be able to walk down the street without getting an angina attack you know it depends on who you are where you are in your life so figure out your why first of all and then secondly just figure out well what do I actually eat like maybe just write it down what do I normally do each week okay I go to Greg's or I eat a jacket potato or whatever you've said then think okay well how can I make this a little bit more abundant? How can I make this more delicious? How can I make this easier for myself? So for example, I think jacket potatoes are fantastic and there's no reason not to have a jacket potato, but maybe vary it and you can go and get yourself some sweet potatoes and you can maybe get some butternut squash as well. And you can start experimenting with adding in other starchy root veggies, adding in some beans, uh, maybe adding in like maybe like a chickpea curry, dollop it on top of your sweet potato if you're having a, um, a jacket sweet potato. Uh, so, so kind of just think, how can I add in uh, more veggies as well? Maybe sort of stir in some spinach if you're making a curry um, maybe uh, chop up a few uh, cucumber sticks and dollop on some hummus on the side so figure out if there's any way for you to add in more because if you're adding in more then it will keep you fuller for longer it will reduce any cravings that you've got and it will mean that you actually find it even more delicious than you would have otherwise found it so think about and if you're having a lot of pasta think well how about trying whole grain pasta or maybe trying some chickpea flour pasta or perhaps lentil penne and adding that into your routine so it doesn't change things a great deal but you're just adding in something that will provide you with more protein and more whole grains than you were previously eating when I first noticed that you know I was going very kind of down junk vegan route I was like how can I make my life easier with this transition and I looked at all of my favorite foods that I made with meat and just looked at how I replaced that meat. So for example, I love, I love spaghetti bolognese. So we changed it and replaced it with mushrooms and lentils, the, the, the beef. And then um, chicken, Thai green curry, we just replaced it with uh, tempeh or tofu or, or just vegetables, a range of different vegetables. And just then looking out that there's no kind of fish oil in, in the sauces and just making sure that, you know, looking on the jar that 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 it is completely plant-based and vegan but yeah just little things like that and then when I just looked at it that way it made my life a lot easier to still enjoy the foods I love and before you know it you are not missing out on the meats yeah exactly and I think it's important to just take it a step at a time at your own pace that's my third tip actually mm. sometimes you jump in and you're like right I'm doing this 100% I'm going to change everything and then it's so much easier then to stumble and fall because you're feeling overwhelmed so don't be hard on yourself just try one new thing a week if necessary and for some people that might actually be more beneficial because if you're eating suddenly a lot more beans and lentils and chickpeas than you're used to then you may start to find yourself a lot more gassy and a lot 
more bloated because your gut bugs haven't had a chance to catch up yet. So take it slow, rinse the beans, maybe consider, you know, soaking for a few hours if you are not used to them. And maybe just maybe half a cup at most in a day and then just gradually, very gradually increase at you know, a comfortable pace or even try things like meat replacements to start off with so that you can gradually increase your fiber content of your meals and also um, eat things that you're used to. So you can get meat replacement minces and meatballs and all sorts of things now. And interestingly, some of the research we're now seeing, because this is a brand new food group, so understandably there's been some reticence, people thinking, well, what's going on with this? Is this healthy? And it's true to say that there is a little bit of research that's needed to figure that out. But also it's worth looking at the labels, looking for ones ideally that have more whole foods. But just remember that when you're making these kinds of changes, it's probably still more beneficial to go for that um, fake meat product because chances are it will have less saturated fat and more fiber and a similar protein content. And just be aware that maybe if you're having something with a bit more coconut oil, that's still saturated fat. It may be more salty too, which is not so good for blood pressure. So just trying to find a product, look at the label, figuring out, figure out the contents and then go from there. Like anything though, if you're up in your movement, your exercise, if you're looking to live a healthier lifestyle, it takes research, it takes time and it takes consistency. It's not an overnight yeah. success. And I think the alternative meat replacements they're great as a transition, and I use them a lot to start with. And I'm found 18, maybe even a year, 12 months down the line, I'm using them less and less as I'm getting more more of a repertoire with my cooking. It is important not to be too hard on yourself. You're right, Susie. And also, some people will not want to transition further and that's okay it's not something that you should beat yourself up about but I I generally advocate whole foods and in my recipe book I've used only whole foods but we you know it's fine to have meat replacements from time to time you know and also there is a new um, study that was out recently that showed that one of the meat sorry alternative meat products available on the market in the UK um, actually has a very favorable profile when it comes to microbiome changes in the gut uh, which is really interesting uh, and looking at them as a as a whole we we do see as i said before consistently lower levels of saturated fat and higher levels of fiber which are both linked to improved health outcomes so i think it's also important not to uh, for me, especially because I, I I get asked about this a lot. I don't want to come across as any in any way elitist. You can have what you want to have, yeah. But generally, I'd say I do tend to stick with um, more whole foods um, as and when you're ready and happy to do that because um, they can provide even better health benefits. Of course, it is a journey. It is a journey, though. When you start down this route, you just you just want to do the best for your health. You're making this decision generally either for environmental reasons for animal well-being or for your health but then they all blend into one eventually um that's what Mm. i've certainly discovered and certainly discovered with the people who have made that transition um, and watched their journey Now, I want to talk about this book, actually, because it is full of amazing information. This is one of my first books that I had on this journey. So thank you for this. You're welcome. <laughs> this book of so much amazing information, um, which has really 
do you know what? It's helped me fight my corner when people have questioned me over my reasons for, for doing this. I just literally get the uh, the Gemma Newman book out and go, well, it's because of. <laughs> um, but the, it's amazing okay. because you talk about all the health benefits. You talk about the food groups. My first interest was because I, I struggled with a lot of inflammation when I was meat eating, heavy meat eater. And it really does talk through what causes inflammation, trans fats, animal fats, high in fats, stress, obviously, smoking, sleep deprivation. But what you go through here is just so many great things. So when I was reading this, I was then looking at my sleep and going, well, actually, there's there's things I could better with that. I'm pro- probably drinking too much caffeine within the day and looking at, you know, how my sleep patterns were. One thing which I'm really fascinated is this is grounding, walking outdoors barefoot and the possible, you know, research that is done on that, which helps with inflammation as well, which I'd love to talk to you about and get your thoughts on. But it's just full of amazing information, but then incredible recipes, which um, I I love. I love these recipes. I've I've gone on to adapt a few of them and and just use them all. But like they're, they're very firmly within my top five recipes for uh, what we cook at home. Um, a lot of a lot of what Aww. you've got in there. What was your inspiration to start this in the first place? This book. My patience and thank you, Susie. I have to say it's lovely to hear you talk so nicely about my book. It's yeah. given me butterflies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Thank> good. <laughs> oh no, I, my main reason was thinking how can I make this simple how can I help people understand the research and want to make these changes to help them have a healthier happier life and that was it my patience I thought you know I would love to I I created the resource I wish I had had when I was doing my initial research because there are books with even more info which can for some people feel quite dry because they're not used to reading about the research around uh, nutrition and it, it can feel a bit too overwhelming Equally, um, you can have just the recipe books, which are great and delicious, and that's the real practical side of it. And you want that, of course. But you know, unless people understand more of why they're wanting to do it, like finding their why, it can be quite hard to necessarily stick to wanting to make change because it's easy to just to stick to the same thing and do what you've always done. And so I thought, let's make a book that combines knowing about the data and figuring out how to use that data to make a happier, healthier life. So it it became my mission to create this one-stop shop where people could literally flick through it like a coffee table book and find colour-coded chapter that they're interested in. And they didn't have to read the whole thing at once. They could dip in, they could dip out and use it just to inspire them and keep them going. So that was why. And yeah, it's been amazing to hear people's feedback and to hear what you just said as well. It just, it brings me so much joy. So thank you. It's, you know, if you're listening to this, it's definitely worth getting a copy. Uh, it's the Plant Power Doctor. It is, it is fantastic. But yeah, just, just to going back into this, the inflammation section, I find that inflammation for me a lot of people um when they're looking for weight loss particularly since doing the happy health club as well and and speaking to uh, our customers on there and and what their their general aim is and a lot of us you know want to lose a few pounds you find that those pounds generally can be lost with just the inflammation in itself that you carry around yeah you're right i think there's lots of things that can contribute to that. And 
I generally try to avoid just focusing on weight loss because there are so many unhealthy ways to lose weight. Yeah. But the beauty of a whole foods plant-based approach is that it can make it a lot easier. Like you say, you're reducing overall inflammation in the body. You're eating foods that are rich in fiber that will fill you up and the worst thing is feeling hungry. And luckily, with a whole foods plant based approach, as long as you're eating as much as you want to eat that, you know, that can help you feel full, uh, satiated, then you can still, from, in most cases, lose weight that way, which is an advantage if you need to. Obviously, um, some people don't need to lose weight and you know they, they won't want to, in which case that it's absolutely possible to have a whole foods plant-based approach and not lose weight. But yeah, it, it makes it a lot easier. And interestingly, some people say when they go across to a more whole foods approach that they feel like they're losing weight without even trying and they want to try and sort of put more on. And it's often because they are so used to certain portion sizes whilst eating meat that they don't realize that they actually can eat more. They can they can eat more food, more vegetables, more fruits, more whole grains, more beans, lentils, chickpeas, oats, herbs and spices. But yeah, I think if you are looking for calorie restriction and you're sort of trying to lose weight for a, for a health point of view, then then the only other tips I might give on that on that um, is is perhaps to consider limiting the amount of oils that you're taking in because they can be quite calorie dense for the amount of nutrition that you're getting and also to aim to avoid things like salted salted nuts because you can end up eating certainly a lot more than you intended to and yeah more than a normal portion you could have you know like half a half a jar if you are, if you kind of you know get into a roll with that so those are my only top tips really but otherwise yeah just eat in abundance and enjoy it and people tend to find if they need to lose weight that it, it can often fall off yeah I think that's what um I found really is is just the sustainability of that is you know the the that initial inflammation going away and it's not necessarily dropping weight and I think that's where I was quite naive I was always looking for these fad diets which I'm just tearing those books up now I'm just so anti fad diets crazy exercise regimes where you're you know running yourself into the ground I'm an absolute expert on them all I promise you I've tried them all so many times but the reality is it's sustainability it's it's a lifestyle change it's entering into things where you are 80% of the time eating really well, whole food diet, um, not sucking the fun out of it completely and being able to still have um, a few bits and pieces here and there. But you tend to not want them as much when you're on a whole food diet. You you just gravitate to wanting to eat well all the time because you know how amazing it fit makes you feel. But also is not kind of exhausting yourself with, I think my thought processes have changed so much where you sustain a very healthy weight um, and you're able to understand that it's not, you, you, you start to love yourself more, I think, when you start treating your body better, I think. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, Susie. It's about loving yourself more. And this is why it's it's quite difficult because a lot of these sort of fad ways of sort of suddenly trying to lose loads of weight, in the end, most people, if not everybody, will gain that weight again and it can lead to a really problematic relationship with food and your body and that's not good so I would say actually even if you are wanting to do a whole foods plant-based diet just for weight loss I think that's not really going to necessarily be 
the best psychologically because it's going to give you um, that real preoccupation with wanting to make sure, okay, I need to eat much less and maybe, you know, the calorie counting and things. And for some people that can lead you down quite a difficult road and it can feel really difficult. So it's interesting because some of the clinics for people who have eating disorders like anorexia nervosa and bulimia, they actually ban plant-based diets because they feel that they may cause people to develop eating disorders. But it's interesting, isn't it? When you look at the research that we have, which is not enough, by the way, but the research that we do have actually suggests that although it may be true um, that there are a higher proportion of vegetarians and vegans who seem to be suffering from eating disorders in these clinics, when you research the causes for that and general population, you begin to realise that a lot of the time these dietary patterns were developed as a result of the initial eating disorder rather than the, the other way around. And when you look at the general population, there's no increased incidence of eating disorders in vegans or vegetarians. And again, it's about looking at your why. If you're doing it for vitality or for animal welfare or for environmental health, chances are there's absolutely no increased risk of having a disordered relationship with food whatsoever. But just be mindful that it's important to know if you do have a susceptibility to an eating disorder and you feel as though, right, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to go plant-based knowing that that's the reason that you're doing it. Just think mm. really carefully and get the support that you need because, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to, to, to be suffering as a result of that choice. Now, again, in the book, I, I just love like threads of holistic approaches to your work. And I see that as well on your, your Instagram. And it, I just think it's it's really wonderful to see. What inspires you to bring that through into your space? Oh, well, I love people. And it's it's an interesting one because the book was, it, it is really mostly about nutrition, but I really wanted to have that holistic aspect. So I'm glad you've seen that threaded through um, because, you know, I definitely would like to write more about that sort of thing. And it's important to me because we are so much more than our, our bodies. We are, we are, I believe we are souls um, having a human experience and part of having a holistic approach is understanding that we need to have peace with who we truly are to, to be able to feel that we're making progress in our lives. We need to, we need to have that sense that we have that self-love really. I understand how valuable we are and how loved we are in order to want to make these changes and um, help the people around us. So yeah, it's really important to me because I've I've seen a lot of suffering. I think not just through my work, but also much like everybody, you know, there's people in my family who've had mental health issues and lack of self-worth, sort of not knowing how absolutely beautiful they are inside and out and 
it's heartbreaking. And I, I would just, I would love for everybody to know how loved they are and how important it is for them to know that, to be able to kind of show up each day and um, have the strength to keep going on in this, in this hard, crazy world. So yeah, it's, it's, it's important. And looking at things like research, you know, we know that sort of a positive state of mind um, is really valuable for longevity. Um, we, we know that it's not just about food. Um, there are so many other things. And even interestingly, reading stories about people who've been able to go through a healing journey, how important it was for them to integrate more of a sort of a spiritual understanding into their lives. And it doesn't mean that you have to be religious, by the way. It doesn't mean that you have to have a particular faith. It's just more of a connection to your highest self yeah. and and knowing how valuable that is, I think is a crucial aspect of health that is hard to define and it's hard for doctors to talk about because it's considered to be perhaps a little bit woo-woo or uh, something that, that is not as grounded in science. But I firmly believe that they're not mutually exclusive. And yeah, it's it's a it's a hugely important part of wellness that's that's really ignored a lot of the time. I agree with you, but that's why I think so many people gravitate towards your work is because you've got this medical uh, part which backs up a lot of research and you've also got this holistic side of things that I just, I find I find it's very important because we know scientifically we are built up of energy um, and that energy has to be looked after and nurtured and protected and that energy is our soul and so when you are speaking and and your posts and like I said I can I can feel it through in the book throughout the book as well is that it gives for me personally another element of feeling not alone do you understand what I mean by that you know where we yes. we're all together we all have traumas and suffers and pain we're all built up of this energy but by tapping into that alignment and understanding that it's okay to feel that trapped energy and that that trauma it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to look at it and come to it from a different point of view than just medication a hundred percent Susie and that's what I would love for everybody to know is that they're not alone and oh it's it's uh, it does give me goosebumps to think about your work too because that's what I love about following your work is that you really focus on mental health and being able to express how we feel uh, and being okay uh, with having these sort of highs and lows and just knowing that there is the higher part of ourselves that can observe all of this going on and that is filled with love and concern and yeah it's really powerful because so many of us do feel alone and that they're you know suffering alone and it's it's uh it's lovely to, to help people know that's not the case and with any kind of healing journey I think releasing suppressed emotions and deepening that connection to our higher self and creating a strong meaning to our lives, uh, giving us that feeling of, of purpose moving forward and service towards other people as well. Yeah. I think these are all just as important as eating in a way that shows our body that you know we love it and maybe sort of exercising, moving our body, sleeping. Like They're all so important. It's so important for the understanding of oneself is how I can only explain it. I think um, when you start to become more aware of your body, how it expresses itself, what it reacts to, what your triggers are, 
you're able to start connecting the mind and the body and understanding that they are as one piece. I think often we are walking around in this life disconnected because we're all very much caught up in our minds. And I think that that's what's wonderful about what you do um, is kind of opening that conversation. It's what I love to open up is that conversation. But it's all very much connected. And like you said, right at the start of this conversation, that's not just us, our minds and our bodies and connecting them and connecting to other people. It's connecting to our planet as well and knowing and understanding we are all one big ball of energy together, all connected. And the minute we start to mistreat or or disregard one element, the minute you are like the law of gravity, the law of attraction, you know, we're all based on laws and energies. It, it's that's that force. It, it starts to jar and it doesn't align and it all becomes a little bit disjointed. Yeah, you're right. You you are so right. And uh, one simple thing that people can do if they find themselves a bit stuck in their mind and kind of feeling as though they are getting sort of anxious is simply just to touch their hand to their heart and remind themselves to just find that stillness if it's possible. And touching your heart in that way is a good way of actually bringing your focus further down actually into your body because that body mind soul connection is there and sometimes you can get so stuck in here in your mind that remembering like maybe just placing one hand on your tummy one hand on your heart and just closing your eyes and noticing how it feels to have your hands by your heart and by your tummy it can remind you how connected you are to the the billions of microbes that live within your gut and on your skin and all over the body and the electrical impulses that cause your heart to beat uh, and that allow those amazing signals into the neurons of your brain to help you to think and that part of yourself that is even separate from all of that that part that is observing the whole thing just kind of becoming much more aware of that hopefully will bring you a little bit more of a sense of peace as you decide what to do with the day ahead. And then obviously days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turns into years. And these kinds of habits can create a life that you could never have imagined before. I love that. I I love that. I've I've started doing this, this morning routine. And part of that morning routine is to go barefoot outside with a cup of coffee, just to connect to the earth. Mm, That's great. Yeah, it is great. And you know, you can do that anywhere you can go to your local park just take your shoes and socks off and just stand there for five minutes just connecting to the earth what what are your thoughts on that because you know there is a little bit of research behind it not a lot but you know there's a bit (laughs) yeah there's a little tiny bit but I love it so yeah I'm grasping onto that tiny bit but I do think actually it's again a part of that holistic approach but a part of we're all built up as energy so why wouldn't that actually help the body being connected to our our planet our earth well it does and when you think about it fruits and veggies what they're doing is is they're really in a way electron donators uh, to help 
the oxygen, the oxygen free radicals that are naturally produced in our body through all the energetic mechanisms of just being alive. They sort of allow these free radicals to be soothed, to calm down. They allow those sort of uh, donation of electrons, uh, which is why they're called sort of antioxidants, by the way, because they they help to calm down that little oxygen species that's kind of bouncing around inside the cell. Uh, and what, when you're standing on, on the ground outside, it's, it's another way. It's literally grounding you like an electrical circuit. It's it's another way of getting those electrons donated up through the skin <laughs> into the body. So I know, yes, there isn't much research on that, but there are reasons why it would be helpful and physically and emotionally and also visually even looking at things that are containing fractals, recurring patterns in nature and things that are, have a horizon, like looking out into the distance. These are all things that can actually activate our parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and renew nervous system. And it really does make a difference. Just looking at something that's further away than our screen, putting our feet on the ground outside, looking at the trees, looking at the leaves, uh, it, it does make a difference to us physiologically. And of course, that can help us mentally too. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Before we wrap things up, because I've had a, such a wonderful conversation, and I think it's going to help so many people with lots of different insights on uh, so many well-being aspects. But a common question we get asked a lot, and I'm sure you get asked a lot, is uh, particularly on the environmental uh, side of things, is, well, if you're eating a lot of soya product within your diet, isn't that as bad for the environment as it is if you're eating animal product? Well, it's interesting because that's a really common myth uh, that, that has been sort of propagated. And I, I get why, because there are lots of soy crops that are grown and have replaced um, some of the uh, rainforest in Brazil, for example. And there may be monocropping involved where there's not much variety in the type of crop. But what's interesting is that the vast majority of those crops are actually fed to the animals that we then eat. No genetically modified soy products are eaten, certainly in the UK. And they're all given to, well, the vast majority of them are given to animals. Uh, so it's actually incredibly inefficient because there are so many of these crops that are grown just to feed the animals that we that we breed in order to eat. So actually, it's meat eating that is propagating and sustaining this uh, highly unsustainable lifestyle rather than people who are eating soy products, vegans, vegetarians or flexitarians who are, who are eating soy products. So that's a huge uh, misconception that I would love to be able to kind of knock on the head right there is actually it's, it's, it's the omnivorous and meat eating uh, patterns that we have that is fueling the monocropping and the destruction of the the rainforest uh, to create these uh, foods that are given to the animals that we that we uh, breed. So that's the first point. Secondly, the soybean is actually really incredible. It has all of the essential amino acids. It um, also contains interesting phytonutrients and phytoestrogens that can help to reduce our risk of uh, breast cancer, especially if we eat these products as children and adolescents. There are studies to show it reduces our long-term risk of breast cancer, which is really important. And yeah, it's also, uh, especially soy milks, they are nutritionally very uh, similar to cow milks in terms of the protein content. And so there's a lot of benefits actually from having soy products. Well, it's been wonderful to chat to you. One thing that out of our last, uh, I think we did uh, either a chat or a cook along, that's something that you really helped me with. And I, I, I don't know whether it was a placebo effect or whether it really did work. 
but I hadn't, if I'm completely honest, did a lot of, I didn't do that much training for um, my Amsterdam marathon that I did. But I think the week before you talked about your husband and the marathons that he did and the one that you did. And you talked about the benefits of beetroot. Oh, it works. It works. I've got to say, <laughs> I think it really, I was drinking beetroot a week before <laughs> doing that marathon. And I absolutely thank you for that tip because I thought this is this is really helping me. I haven't trained that much, and I managed to do that marathon in four and a half hours. Wow! Considering I did not train, I couldn't believe it. But I've got to say, the benefits of beetroot. Can you just give us yeah. a little insight on why that possibly could have helped my uh, my marathon running? Yes. So beetroot uh, is a great food for increasing the amount of nitric oxide that's produced in our blood vessels. So it contains nitrates, which are converted to nitrites, which are converted to nitric oxide in our blood vessels, which is great because it opens up those blood vessels really well. And it allows you to be far more efficient with the oxygen that you have in your bloodstream. So it, and it does make a big difference. That's just why athletes love beetroots. Uh, they, they'll put beetroots in their smoothies, uh, take beetroot shots and it's said to have the most benefit about two hours or so before you're about to do anything that's kind of exerting yourself but taking it daily um when you're kind of leading up to training is is beneficial and yeah it, it really can make a big difference and Lots of fruits and veggies actually help to increase the amount of nitric oxide that are produced in the endothelial lining of our blood vessels. But beetroot is a particularly good one for that. And I'm so glad it helped you with your marathon. <laughs> oh my God, it was brilliant. I was, I was like, thank goodness that I knew this a week before that I, uh, I actually took that on because I do think it helped massively. I had beetroot for breakfast uh, before running it. I think it really did help. So this is my final question. Um, now you know the podcast is called Dare to be Happy. My question to you is, what's the most random, extreme, crazy, mundane thing that you've done or do for your happiness? It's it's really interesting that you should ask me that question because I wasn't expecting that question. But last weekend, I went away with some women and it was the first time I've been on a, on a weekend like this for a long time. It was a sort of a yoga retreat in Norfolk and I went with random strangers and they were all wonderful women. And part of that exercise was actually to write down the things that make you happy and we had to do that as um, I think on the third day we did that. Shall I just read it out? <laughs> yeah, do it. Read it out. I love this. Okay. It's quite vulnerable. This is a deep insight into my psyche because I didn't think it was going to be read by anybody else. But here we go. <clears throat> the things that make me happy. Smiles and connection with others. Delicious food. Loving touch. My son's hugs. Going back to smiles, I see Max's smiling face. That's my oldest son. I see Ted's dancing. That's my youngest son. And his loving words, my mum's hugs. When Richard strokes my hair, that's my husband. I love seeing Richard enjoy driving his car because he got a brand new car. <laughs> um, spending time with people who have love in their hearts. It makes me happy to help people, laugh with my friends and work colleagues. How I see the spark of hope in my patients' eyes when I've helped them feel better, knowing that I have helped them in some small way. I like a warm cup of tea, 
chocolate of all types. I like feeling the sun on my face. I love hugging Rosie, that's our dog, and how much she misses me. I love sunsets, being at the beach, hearing the crashing waves and feeling small yet connected to every vibrating molecule that surrounds me. I love cake. I love a delicious homemade toast with avocado. I love the feeling of adventure whenever I go to a new place. Part two. (laughs) Sorry, I've nearly finished. Um, This is um, fantastic. (laughs) I love seeing Clea, that's my sister, visiting mum and feeling safe and loved. I love seeing my friends old and new. I love the feeling after yoga, shavasana. I love my Reiki, my daily mantra, reminding me how lucky I am to be alive. I love that the universe is a loving place. I love that I can feel happy and sad at the same time. I love having a quiet mind. I love that I was born when I was, a time without social media, but also when I was free to do things that make me happy. I love having had my parents, my grandparents, my time in India and all the places I have seen. I love being human. I love my body, my face, my fully functional shell. I feel lucky to be born in the UK with all the privileges I have been given. I love being around people, making them laugh and helping them feel valued. I love sharing a meal with my family. I love everything I love. <laughs> That's all I wrote. So That is one incredible <laughs> happy list. And that's why you glow from the inside out. Honestly, that is why you. so many people gravitate because you you really embrace life and people and love and gratitude. And that is the best recipe mm. for happiness, isn't it? It is. Thank you, Susie. I can't quite believe I shared that. <laughs> but it was very, it kind of, I couldn't believe you asked me that question. And I think, you know, having literally had to make that very list just a few days ago, um, it just felt right to share it with you. Ah. Oh. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing it to all the listeners as well. That's, you know, we're we're truly grateful. So thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) It's been wonderful to talk to you, Gemma. Thank you so much for all the wonderful insights that you have given to this episode of the podcast. And yeah, Mm. if you want to follow Gemma, she is the Plant Power Doctor. Um, You can get her book, which is the Plant Power Doctor. um, And just follow all the wonderful things you've got. Have you got another book coming out soon? Or are you writing one at the moment? I'm writing one. It's not coming out for a little while, unfortunately, but um, I've written a lot more about things like grounding. You're going to love it, Susie. There's loads more holistic stuff in the second book <laughs> and more recipes too. <laughs> but yeah, it's not it's not out for a long time. So grab The Plant Power Doctor. <laughs> yeah, grab The Plant Power Doctor. It's a fantastic book and it really does. It will help you um, if you are plant-based curious or or even have just started on your journey, or well into it anyway, because it just gives you so much information. Thank you, Gemma. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Wow, what a brilliant episode that was. So many tips and tricks and insights to keeping on top of your well-being and the happy list. I mean, I'm definitely going to be writing down my list as soon as I've finished up here. Ah, a gratitude list. I mean, isn't that brilliant exercise to do? Every single day, write down what you are happy and grateful for. It's so brilliant for your well-being. Thanks, Gemma.
Thank you so much for listening to Dare to Be Happy. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to me if you could share my show with your friends and family. And if you could rate and review and subscribe, it means others can find out all about the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at Susie underscore Shaw, or you can email me at info at thehappyhealthclub.com. Sending you tons of love and I'll see you soon.